Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So I don't know if all of you are aware, but January actually marks the 20th annual National Stalking Awareness Month. So this month is when everything kind of is raised about stalking, the fact that stalking is still a prominent thing all over the world, but especially in the UK, and actually the effects it has on people. So this week, to raise awareness to this, I'm going to tell you the case of Alice Ruggles. Before we begin, the Crime Pod is off to CrimeCon. CrimeCon UK, partnered by True Crime, is the ultimate true crime event and returns to Glasgow on the 27th of April 2024. From fascinating sessions with some of the biggest names in true crime to hanging out with your favourite podcasters at the bar, CrimeCon UK is a great way for you to really immerse yourself into the true crime community. CrimeCon Glasgow is a more intimate event with everyone experiencing the same programme. Tickets will include lunch and coffee breaks or plenty of time to network with the crime contributors. Head to crimecon.co.uk to book your tickets today and for a special 10% off, use our code CRIMEPOD in full caps at checkout. So, yeah, you've probably all kind of seen that on social media. So we are off to CrimeCon, which we are really, really excited about. Um, and as we said, tickets are on sale now and we'd love to see some of you there. There is... Um, discounted student tickets there's blue light tickets and there's payment plans as well because the tickets are quite expensive and it is a tough time for everybody but if that is something you can do we would love to see some of you there now back to the reason why we're here as I said I'm going to tell you the case of Alice Ruggles today Samantha are you aware of that at all do you does that name ring a bell no okay. sorry. <laughs> sorry the story might to be fair I think the story will actually um, kind of tell you a bit more. Now, like as I'd kind of said, January 2024 is the 20th annual National National Stalking Awareness Month. So this is when obviously kind of awareness to stalking is spoken about. There is obviously a lot of statistics out there which kind of keep it simple. 20% of women aged 16 to 74 have actually experienced stalking since the age of 16, some sort of stalking. And that's compared to 10% of men, which I know that is smaller for men, but that is still not a great statistic. It should obviously be zero. Um, When I looked into like who is most likely to be a stalker, it is a male over a female. And it's obviously a gender neutral crime, but most stalking victims are female so 78 percent of victims of stalking are female and most stalking perpetrators are male so 80 87 percent sorry can't speak today of perpetrators are male now adults between 18 and 29 years old are the primary targets of stalking and they actually take up 52 percent of all of the victims so that is obviously mental statistics so Stalking actually does also coincide with domestic abuse. Um, so obviously people that are in kind of des- domestic abuse, like relationships, obviously then maybe that leads into stalking, it's coercive control, it all kind of falls under one main category. So the definition in the dictionary of stalking is a person who harasses someone to with unwanted and obsessive attention. So that is the kind of definition of stalking, but it can come in loads of different ways, which you will hear about in this story. 
So Alice Ruggles was born on December 24th, 1991 in Leicester, England to parents Clive and Sue. She was a third of four children. She had two brothers, Nick and Patrick, and she had a sister, Emma. She grew up with them in this quiet Leicester village of Turlangton. That is a lovely wee place. There honestly isn't much to kind of tell you about it, but it's a very nice like English village if you kind of Google and have a look. The family were a very close-knit one and Alice always managed to make her presence known, whether this was by her jokes, pranks or her banter on the family WhatsApp group. She's quite like me. Uh, she would sing in school concerts, but also would like, lead the karaoke at friends' parties. She was just this really amazing energy to be around. Alice's family and friends will always remember her for her happy and outgoing personality. She had the ability to cheer anyone up when they were down. She was incredibly quick-witted, a brilliant listener and genuinely empathetic and she made friends wherever she went very quickly. Alice attended Leicester High School for Girls where her mum Sue worked and she was very popular and successful there. She played the lead role in the school pantomime, she sang in the chamber choir and she actually narrowly mixed out on becoming Victrix Ladurum on sports day. Um, so I, we didn't have that in the schools we went to, but obviously I don't know if you know what that is. Sam, has, have you heard that kind of title before? Is it like the top dog, like won everything yes. sort of thing? So yeah. like, yeah, Victrix Ladurum is like a girl or a woman who's overall champion in a sports competition, especially at school. Mm-hmm. Um, so she narrowly missed this on sports day when she started her final race and fell flat on her face um, however she thought this was absolutely hilarious and laughed the whole thing off uh, to be honest I did the same thing like yeah. I just remember doing the three-legged race and dragging Katie my partner to that finish line she was on the yeah. floor and I was like yeah. we're in it to win but also have a good time yeah I'm having fun but why have we not won um, yeah yeah she was a great personality at school she helped younger pupils with their Duke of Edinburgh awards she helped organize the school ball she just done loads and got herself involved in all these really exciting things she then discovered fencing at a PGL camp at age 11 and this sport soon became like a really important part of her life I actually forgot fencing was like a thing I know that sounds really bad it's obviously a very important sport but I actually didn't really realize that it was still so much of a common thing, if that makes sense. But she represented her home country um, of Leicester and the East Midlands region on many occasions. She enjoyed successes on the national fencing circuit. And by the time she was 18, she actually picked universities based on the strength of their fencing club. So she chose Northumbria due to how good their fencing club was. And she eventually became the club captain. Um, Her proudest achievement in her fencing career was winning the Women's EP at the Leeds Open in 2012. Now, obviously, she went and studied in Northumbria University and she actually really liked it there. So she stayed in Newcastle after graduation. And after a while, she secured a job at Sky's Newcastle Hub, where she was quickly promoted to become the site coordinator and PA to the head of sales. Late October 2015, Alice went on holiday to Indonesia with a friend. And the friend obviously put photos online, which people do. Someone messaged the friend, a man called Tryman Dillon, who was known to Harry as Harry to his friends, and said, I really like the look of that girl you're on holiday with. So that's obviously a very much a 2015, how you kind of got to know people. So I'm going to kind of tell you a bit about who he was. So Dylan was known to his friends as Harry, but his name was Tryman Dillon. He was an only child born in India and moved around a lot due to his parents' work. His dad was in the Indian army, so he spent a lot of time kind of travelling around there. He studied in India, but he then was offered to go and finish his degree 
at the Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh in 2010. It says Edinburgh, it's on the outskirts, but alas. The army recruitment actually then went to the campus and he obviously had this experience of his dad being in the army and he applied, passed the selection process, he flew through it and began his training in May 2012. Now, he worked for the Royal Guard, which is obviously protecting the royal family whenever they were out and about, and he actually wanted to go on to join the SAS. Harry was a lance corporal and a soldier who served with two Scots, um, the two Scots barracks based at Pennycook, which is south of Edinburgh. So that's where he stayed. In January 2016, the, they began kind of speaking before this, sorry. So the couple had kind of began speaking, they'd kind of like messaged, but in January 16, they met for the first time and they actually went out, went on some dates. And then one of their first dates in Nando's, he made a kind of joke that the waitress fancied him which is such like a minor thing, but I think it'll explain a lot about what Dylan was like. So in early 2016, Alice began a very brief relationship with Dylan. He charmed her with his attentive and caring behaviour and they were that typical like honeymoon period couple. They spent a week in Newcastle, then a week in Edinburgh, and then um, Dylan had to go back to Afghanistan for another two-month tour. Now, after he came back to the UK in April, her friends and colleagues noticed that she was coming becoming quite withdrawn and distracted and had started doing things as simple as like losing weight she had basically stopped socializing altogether which was a huge red flag for Alice as I'd said Alice was like the life and soul of the party she was involved in all these different things however she kind of completely withdrew from that which a lot of her family and friends were concerned about she went on to actually fall out with her housemates which was so unlike her and she actually moved out of the flat to a new ground floor flat in Gateshead and she shared this with her work colleague Maxine but the, like that's that's how severe the kind of fallout was that she actually was like well I'm away. Everyone noticed she was changing loads and they couldn't really work out fully why. Now during this time in the background Dylan had started being quite critical of her appearance and the way she lived her life he began kind of putting in negative thoughts about her friends and her family members. So she steadily become more and more isolated. Dylan at this time as well had also taken control of Alice's Facebook account and changed the password and kind of monitored her social media access. Now, the effect of Dylan's behaviour on Alice was mad. Like in a few months, she went from this really happy, outgoing, vibrant personality. She then became miserable lonely like it wasn't just her personal life her work was also affected they noticed like her performance and work was declining her personality and work was declining everything in her life was being impacted by this relationship now her family noticed how withdrawn and unhappy Alice was during a family holiday to a cottage in Cornwall in July now her whole family were noticing that she just wasn't this bubbly personality in the room anymore um, and the family had said that they expressed that the holiday was not a happy time at all. However, Dylan would later describe the holiday as, quote, perfect, which I think kind of shows the different perspectives. Like some people in relationships like this, Dylan obviously thinks that being in complete control of your partner is a healthy thing. And to be checking their social medias, to be keeping on top of whatever they're doing for telling them who to socialise with, who to not socialise with. I just... I don't have the time. I couldn't tell you what my boyfriend does on social media and I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? But Yeah. And obviously... then if someone was like wanting to do that, I'd be like, can you not? Like mm-hmm. bugger off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me and you're terrible at having a joint Instagram for the crime pod. Yeah, we can't even handle that. Never no. mind. <laughs> you're like, if you checked it, I'm like, no, no, you check it. And you're like, it's joint hours. I'm like, oh 
Yeah, we should do that. So yeah, honestly, can't imagine then having my boyfriend's Instagram, my boyfriend's Facebook, and trying to trying to keep on top of that. I just I don't have the time for it. Now, by this point, kind of August twenty sixteen, she's almost completely stopped socialising. And as I said, this was October twenty fifteen. He he messaged a friend. They first met in January twenty sixteen. This has only been eight months. And she's completely stopped socialising. This is quick. Like normally you see it that it's this honeymoon period for years and then it happens. But actually this was very, very quick. But in August 2016, Alice was contacted by another woman on Facebook. This woman claimed that Dylan had actually befriended her on a dating website and was pursuing a relationship with her the time he was with Alice. So all this time, Dylan had been demanding Alice's loyalty to him and actually he'd been out cheating, he'd been contacting other women and engaging in casual sex with women as well. So at this... That's always the case. Mm-hmm. And like, it infuriates me. And then if she did it to him, he'd have something to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But do you know what's amazing? Alice ended the relationship. Yes. She was like, nope, I don't want to be with you anymore. Like, I'm not going to be able to trust you. Like, this relationship is done. Like, there is no way we can move on from this. And after the split, yeah, after the split, she almost felt some sort of relief. And actually, it was kind of like a, once you're out of that situation, you're like, holy shit, like, this is what's been happening. So she actually began kind of slowly going back to her old self, which I think is obviously really lovely. And it's probably never going to be exactly who she was, but she came out of this and actually was like, nope, and started socialising more, started picking up these relationships that were then broken, starting to make more of a kind of impact and work again. Now, Dylan, of course, asked for forgiveness and Alice said no. And I wish that I could tell you that was it, that they then unfriended each other on social media and they never spoke again. But unfortunately, this is not the case. Dylan was not prepared to accept no for an answer. In the following weeks, he bombarded Alice with phone calls, voice messages, texts and emails Some were pleading, some were him upset, some were him asking for forgiveness. Others were aggressive and threatening. He actually contacted her family and friends and in one message he stated he was, quote, not used to being denied what belonged to him. So this fuck right off. So that's what he's saying. No, no, you're fine. That's what he's saying. He's like, what do you mean no? Like, he cannot get his head around it that she has made this decision that she doesn't want to be with him anymore. And he is literally just not accepting that at all. During August and September, Alice received just countless messages from Dylan. As I said, these continued in texts, voicemails, and obviously you've got the standard, block his number. Yep, she's emailing, he's emailing her, sorry, block her email. He's then using different phones to phone her and leave voicemails. So she really can't get on top of it, to be honest. In some ways, he does like profess his undying love. So he's saying, like, I, I, like, I'm in love with you. I can't believe this is how it's ended. He uses emotional blackmail, crying down the phone, saying he's going to kill himself. He then turns aggressive and says that he's going to harm her. Like, it just doesn't end. Like, he then at one point used threats to release, like, photos of her that he had secretly taken of her so not even like she sent him an explicit picture like he's saying to her like oh when she was getting changed or had come out the shower he'd taken a picture without her knowledge and had threatened to release it now it's so easy for me to sit there and be like well if that was me I'd be like well release it then I'll get you done do you know like if you release a picture of me that I've not given you consent to take and then you release it yeah but then I'll be able to get you charged and you'll be done but obviously when you're a I don't think actually revenge porn was illegal um in 2016 but also when that is you and when it's threats of 
a picture of you coming out of the shower being released it's horrific you're shitting it, yourself yeah yeah absolutely it's so easy for me to sit here and be like we'll go on there that's pr- obviously not what she was like no. dylan had just become so so obsessed with alice now at first she tries her best to be nice it's not in her nature to be na- nasty to people so she would listen to him but look i'm sorry you feel like this but unfortunately no we're not getting back together but he would like basically abuse her kindness and his attempts to get her back when she began ignoring the messages that's when he would contact the family and friends trying to get them to influence her so obviously i i don't know to what extent her family and friends knew of the abuse in the relationship and i am using the word abuse no he didn't ever physically abuse her that we know of but it was abuse to like tainting her mind about family members having her social media that is abuse so i don't know what they knew do you know like if if me and my partner split and they messaged you sam being like oh like, can you please try and talk to Caitlin, blah, blah, blah. You don't know what they know, but I'd like to think that none of her friends then expressed to her that she should get back with him. I don't think they did. He also hacked back into her social media and it became clear that he was actually reading all of her messages. So he knew who she was speaking to and where she was going. Now, at the beginning of September, he actually found out that Alice had begun a new relationship with Mike, who's an army officer. And I don't think this was official boyfriend-girlfriend. I think they were just very early stages of speaking. But he set out to completely destroy this and contacted Mike directly, painting this false picture of Alice and trying to basically think that Alice was two-timing him, saying that Alex was sleeping with him, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think Mike took any interest in this conversation. On the 30th of September, Dylan rang Alice's doorbell and then hid when she looked through the spy hole to see who was there. Now, a side note to remember is... Like, do you know when, so Samantha, for example, say if you were ignoring me and I was like, right, okay, and it wasn't even that bad. And I then came to your house and was ringing your doorbell. That's not okay. That is absolutely not okay. No. Right? But I live about half an hour away from you, right? He lives a minimum two hours, 42 minute drive. So he has drove from Pennycook to Gateshead to then just like ring her doorbell and hide. Yeah, I wouldn't even do it the 30 minutes, Caitlin. No, no, sorry, hon. I know, I'm like, do you want to come around? You're like, "Mm." Um, but it's just mental. So she was concerned that, yeah, it's so, so crazy. But she was so concerned it was him, she didn't answer the door. A few hours later, so he then goes away, comes back, he then climbs the fence into the back garden and knocks on her bedroom window as she's lying in bed. Now, she opens the curtains and she saw flowers and chocolate on the windowsill and saw Dylan in the garden backing off with his hands up in the air. So, right, see if, like, me... Say you and your boyfriend Sam split. Let's say you were just basically like, oh, like, you know, we've split on natural causes and this is the first time you've ever heard of him. And he turns up and he's like, I am really sorry. I just wanted to give you something. Like, I've been an arsehole. You could almost excuse it. But by this point flowers and chocolates on the windowsill you've knocked on her window as she's in bed and then you're backing off with your hands in your hands in the air like what the fuck are you doing yeah that's when it's like so far across Mm -hmm. the line there's not even any saneness to this now it's not like a oh no could forgive him no 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 No. this is not right so as he drove back to pennycook he left her a voice message on her phone because she obviously didn't answer when he kept repeating that he didn't want to kill her and he wouldn't kill her. What do you mean? Like, you don't have to confirm to somebody you're not going to kill them. Oh, that so he's a weird turn. Yeah, so he's like, don't worry, I'm not, I don't want to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. What do you mean? 
like do you know if you turn around to me and was like, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you I'd be like well I fucking didn't think you were going to kill me so he's then planted this seed at last Alex called Alice contacts the police where initially they were very sympathetic and they reassured her that he could be stopped so she called 101 and from the recording of the phone call which hasn't been released but I've kind of read like bits about it um she was calm and polite almost apologetic now the officer explained that she could go to a solicitor and take out an injunction or the police could issue a PIN which is basically a police information notice which means if he ever comes near you again or contacts you he'll be arrested so what would you prefer to which Alice was heard replying quote can I try that option please so Alice believed herself to be protected and had basically got a bit of her confidence back because offered the PIN the PIN actually I don't know if you know much about a pin notice but a pin notice carries absolutely no legal weight so I'm going to kind of sidetrack here just to tell you a bit about a pin because for Alice she was really really reassured about having this pin in place however um, as I said I'm going to tell you a bit more about it so the police might issue a pin as a caution where there are allegations of harassment so the main purpose is to inform the harasser that their behaviour amounts to harassment and is unacceptable the Protection from Harassment Act does not see some behaviour, such as sending flowers, texting, whatever you're doing, as harassment, but the PIN closes these potential loopholes. But some points about the PIN are they do not have do not sorry have any statutory basis. There is no formal police procedure or time limit within which would they take effect. They do not constitute any formal legal action. Signing one does not mean you or the alleged harasser accept the harassment has taken place. The notices are not formal police cautions. There's no implication so far as a police checks are concerned, basically. So like if you had a pin against you, if you were then checked through a pin system, a police system, it wouldn't come up that you had a pin. The pin is not a court order or any form of conviction. The police will not record an individual's details on the police national database just by the issue of a pin. And it is not considered in any way as a criminal record. So when they've offered this to her, it sounds like, you know, you can either get them done for harassment or we'll give you the pin, which to her, she's thinking, great. But it's not like they've then, you know, it's not like they've gone to him. And actually, the police don't speak to Dylan. The police warning was communicated to Dylan in his barracks by his army superiors on the 3rd of October. Now, I completely understand the army have like their army police, blah, 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 but it wasn't them that got involved and the police actually never went to his barracks and spoke to him about the pin. It was basically passed on. And this is when like colleagues, his manager, friends, even a GP had basically said to him, like, you need to stop contacting Alice. Like, this is harassment. You need to stop me, which I think really says something like when your friends and your colleagues and stuff are saying, like, it, it's way too far now. It's not like they even think he's going to get back with her. Now, despite all this, once he was served with the pin, he immediately sent her a parcel containing a letter and some other items. The letter complained that she had called the police on him and that he was now facing repercussions at work, including they had taken away his laptop, his iPad and his phone, which was all untrue. He went on, quote, I'm in a lot of shit now, but hope you feel happy. I'm sending you everything I have that reminds me of you as you belong to another man. Wishing you to a happy life. I will never come in your life again. Which, OK, she's probably seeing that as like, OK, you're pissed, but actually this pin is working. Um, so maybe, but obviously as well, she has got a fright. So on the 7th of October, when she receives this parcel, she rings the police again to report it and says, you've issued this pin to which he has then immediately contacted me to tell me he has the pin. 
But this time she was made to feel like arresting Dylan was basically not an option and that she was almost wasting police time. Now, there is no recording of this call. Sorry, I got confused about earlier. So the initial call that I spoke about, you can find the trans you can find the recording online, but there is no recording of this call of her basically being kind of dismissed by police and saying there's nothing more they can do in this situation. So very quickly in this week, Alice has realized that this pin does nothing and she's realized she's not being protected at all by police. Now, she actually made sure by colleagues and friends that she was driven to her front door each day and immediately double locked the door if Maxine was out. Now, on the 10th of October, unbeknown to Alice, Dylan actually drove back down to Gateshead, so the two and a half hour drive, down to her house at night and climbed into her back garden and took photos of her rear window. Um, Alice was never sent these photos, so we don't know why he took them. On the 12th of October, Dylan drove down again from Pennycook and parked near Alice's flat, waiting for her to return home. While waiting in his car outside Alice's flat, he was messaging another woman up in Edinburgh, trying to arrange a meeting later that night in Scotland. So trying to arrange a hookup, basically, while sitting outside stalking his ex at her flat. Now, around 6pm, sorry, Dylan climbed in again over the back fence and this time he forced himself into the flat through a window. He picked up a sharp kitchen knife and basically hid in the house until Alice came home. Now, what happened, we don't know. We don't know the full extent, but what we know is he basically cornered Alice in her flat. From court, they believe that he has like pinned her down and probably like sat on her, pinned him down with like his legs and his whole weight on her. Um... But 20 minutes later, her flat Maxine came ho- her flatmate Maxine came home to find Alice lying in a pool of blood in the bathroom with her flo- uh, throat slit. Now, Al- uh, sorry, Maxine had basically had to climb in through a window as well because Alice had came in and double locked the door like she always did, expecting herself to be safe in her house where Dylan was hiding. Now, Alice unfortunately didn't survive and was pronounced dead by paramedics at the scene. Now, Maxine called Northumbria police and paramedics and obviously they all came and Alice died when she was 24. Now, the police couldn't believe the brutality of this attack. Her throat was slashed six times from ear to ear, basically, and the knife had actually gone so deep that it reached her spine. Maxine, on the call to 999, actually tells him straight up that Dylan is the murderer and says that they all knew this was coming. Now, due to the police's really quick actions, he was arrested in Edinburgh that night at his barracks, well, in Pennycook. He was trying to climb the wall over the barracks into the woods, but the police caught him and took him in. He denied all knowledge of this. However, evidence placed him at the scene and he was charged. So you're looking at phone data records, everything like that. They managed to kind of charge him for this. Now, it came out, which is where you're going to start getting angry, Samantha, because I was getting angry at this bit. It came out that Dylan was known to police due to violence and abuse towards women. His ex had a restraining order against him for stalking and harassment. Now, they'd split about three years ago in Kent um, and after they split, he had actually tracked her down and spat in her face at the street. In the street, at the time of Alice's phone calls, the Northumbria police had no knowledge about the earlier restraining order. However, if they had, they might have acted differently. So, because he had a restraining order, and because when she called the police, a pin doesn't do a check, this never came up. Now, at the trial, Dylan is um, is basically unemotional and very arrogant. He denied like that he killed Alice and argued that Alice had actually attacked him and he was a victim of Alice's violent temper. When asked why he fled, he said seeing her covered in blood. So basically, sorry, just to take back step, back step, back step. He basically said that Alice had tried to attack him with the knife and there was a struggle and she managed to slit her own throat is what 
he puts oh. forward as his defence. Would you like to go in on that, Sam? Like, I'm clumsy at the best of times, but bugger me. You're not going to, like, oh, no. I know. I just I can't comment. No comment. I believe it sometimes, you know, <laughs> no comment, thank you. I believe it's something, like, I think it's believable when, not Alice at all, I believe it if, like, you know, if there's a scuffle and someone accidentally gets, like, stabbed in, like, the abdomen. Do you know, if two yeah. years wrestling yeah. with a knife. But Someone's how, gonna get hurt. if I'm trying to stab you in the next minute, I've accidentally slit my own throat. But that just says a lot about you. You should exactly. be carrying a knife. But I just need to know in what world yeah. the defence thought, fuck, yeah, you're right. Let's put that to a trial. Yeah, because so, if I was the jury, I'd be like, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. What? what? So they obviously then go, okay, let's say you've had this fight. So why did you flee? If she slit her throat, why would you flee? And he said that seeing her covered in blood gave him flashbacks to a helicopter crash in Afghanistan where five of his colleagues died and one of their throats were slit due to the visor they were wearing. However, army officials take the stand and say he wasn't even there. He literally visited the site of this accident to guard it. Multiple days later, all the casualties had been removed. There was no blood. There was no slit throats. There was absolutely nothing. He never witnessed any of this. So again, he's just lying. So Dylan was also six foot one, 12 and a half stone and was training for the special forces. So how how on earth was Alice going to take him down with a knife? There was no way that she was going to attack him. There was no way. You'll be happy to know that Dylan was found guilty at Newcastle Crown Court after two hours of jury deliberation. He was sentenced to life and must serve a minimum of 22 years. He's currently being held at HM Prison Durham um, but he is appealing to serve the rest of his sentence in India, which Alice's family are fighting against, because if he was to go and serve in India, that would obviously change his state, um, his kind of time and everything, yada, yada. Now, the judge actually said, I normally don't read much of the judge deliberations, but she, he kind of said about um, Dylan, he said, quote, you were harassing her, you were stalking her, you were destroying her, which I think is so, so true. Now, I kind of done this case a bit differently and spoke a lot about Alice and actually told you a lot of personal information about Alice, like being in the family WhatsApp group, like singing karaoke, which is normally quite a lot of hard information to find about somebody. But I got a lot of my information from the Alice Ruggles Trust. So Alice's parents have set up the Alice Ruggles Trust and the website is fantastic. It is full of photos of Alice and it's basically their whole motto is to put an end to stalking. So it exists to raise awareness of stalking, including coercive control, to ensure that relevant legislation is effective and adhered to, and to bring about lasting improvements in the management of perpetrators and the protection of victims. So I really, I will link it in the kind of show notes and we'll put it on our Instagram as well, but please go onto the website and have a kind of look. There's loads of different like fundraising things that you can do. Um, They've raised like loads and loads of money, all for kind of stocking things. They have events, so they do like a conference, um, which sounds amazing. So the conference, uh, the conference sounds great. So if that's something that you know you think would benefit from going to, I really think you should have a look. But yeah, please check out the website. Now, some bits that I've kind of taken off the website as well, which you'll be able to read in a bit more detail. But things I kind of want to raise is the changes that Alice Ruggles' case has made on the wider kind of impact. So in 2018, the CPS and National Police Chiefs Council introduced a new protocol on the appropriate handling of stalking and harassment offences 
a census, sorry, aiming to ensure that the criminal justice system identifies patterns of behaviour that amount to stalking or harassment for what they are, rather than looking at the instance in isolation. So, for example, like Dylan turning up and putting the flowers and the chocolates on the thing. Okay, let's deal with that. He then turns up and rings the bell. Okay, let's deal with that. No, they are all instanced by the same perpetrator to the same victim. So they need to be looked at as a case instead of just, oh, he turned up and done this, don't do that. He turned up and done, do you know what I mean? Um, one result. Yeah, since absolutely. Alex, yeah, so instead of, I don't know why, the police look at them as individual things. That So they actually have said, no, they need to start actually making like a, a lock. So even if you phone and say, look, I know nothing can be done, but I just want you to know that he's turned up at my house again. It's on file to have all this evidence. A result from this in 2018 that PIN notices are no longer used in stalking cases, which is amazing, amazing news. That on its own is a huge success. Alice well, considering, is... Mm -hmm. sorry, no, no, please. There was no point of it. Like, there was mm -hmm. zero point of a PIN. Mm -hmm. Nothing no. came of it. So well, they ready. still have PINs. It's not that they've completely got rid of them, but not for, like, stalking. Yeah. So, like, if me and you fell out and you were harassing me, I could then put a pin in order for you. And then if you then got to the verge of stalking, the pin would be eligible. But the pin did absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And it, there was no kind of re record of it at all. Now, Alice's Domestic Homicide Review, published in 2019, made 20 recommendations aimed at national, regional and local bodies, including the Home Office and the Ministry of Defence. The 2019 Stalking Protection Act brought in stalking protection orders, which are CPOs. They are basically intended as a simple and effective tool to help the police manage the risk from the moment a victim presents himself. So like the minute I say, like, I'm at risk of stalking, this is what's happening, they are able to manage that. Now, evidence suggests that the effectiveness and application of the CPOs is being hampered by multiple complicating and competing factors, leaving victims at risk of serious harm or death. So the Alice, um, the Alice Ruggles Foundation are now campaigning for an urgent and comprehensive independent review of the CPOs. They are also continuing to campaign for a statutory framework to deal with serial stalkers. So in Alice's case, the court heard how the restraining order had been taken out about Dylan by the ex-girlfriend in Kent. Um, but at the time of Alice's phone calls, Northumbria police had no knowledge about this order. So if they did, they might have acted differently because they didn't even run him through the system because of the pin notice, because that didn't flag up the minute they put his name in. Whereas if that then flags up, they might have acted totally, totally differently. Now, to finish my story on Alice before we discuss it, I just kind of want to, like at the court, there was also um, at her sent, uh, trial, sorry, there was loads of different kind of victim impact statements, etc. But one of her colleagues wrote this really lovely thing about her. And I think that's kind of how I'd like to finish if that's okay. So he read, he wrote, sorry, I will read. He wrote, you know, I'm not a man of many words unless it was badgering you to get my laptop ordered. So I just want to list my best memories of you. Genuinely the most horrific Mancunian accent I've ever heard, ever. Absolutely awful and hilarious in equal measures. You taught me the difference between foil, EP and Sebre. I still won't watch it at the Olympics. You are more sarcastic than me. Your sense of humour was second to none so witty and sharp as attack. Last but definitely not least, you had the most infectious personality and brightened the office on a daily basis. I can genuinely say any day I spoke to you was a happier one for it. You never failed to make me laugh and I'm a miserable sod. So that was from one of Alice's colleagues and I think it kind of shows how much impact she had on everybody from like 
you know, from something as simple as a colleague, from her friends, from her family, the impact that she had on everyone's life was amazing. And it shows how one person can just completely ruin that. And there's so many what ifs in these stories, not just from the police, but like if they had done something differently. But what about if she'd never gone to Indonesia? What about if her friend had never shared that photo online? What about if Dylan hadn't checked his social media that day? There's so many what ifs. And yeah, it's just an absolute horrific case. And it's still stalking is still such a common thing. And obviously this is the kind of worst case scenario case, but there's so many other kind of versions of it, if that makes sense. Sam, do you want to kind of finish with anything? Uh, obviously the case is atrocious and I think the police, as we all know, or the criminal system, we have a long way to go to work on stalking. Now, it has come a long way also, mm-hmm. so we have to, you know, commend that. But I think over the past few years, it has come to light more. There's definitely more on the news or social media or even like documentaries or TV programmes and things highlighting the importance that it is to nip this in the bud as soon as it begins, because this could have been prevented, but there wasn't the system in place. 